So will virtual travel ever take the place of physical travel? This is a question that has been asked for several years now as there are more and more computer apps that let you have this 360 degree experience of a place or of a journey. Without ever leaving your house, you can join devout Muslims in Mecca, walking counterclockwise seven times around the center of the mosque. With a swipe of the mouse, you can scan the crowd around you, seeing the faces of the pilgrims that seem to touch you on every side. It's a sea of humanity. Or you can take a trek to Nepal, stopping at the village of the Sherpas before heading off into the snowy wilderness. You can move the mouse and see the blue sky above, or the vast mountains in every direction. Or if that's not your thing, you could always pour a glass of wine and lean back as the dancers come on stage at the Moulin Rouge, taking time now and again to glance at the other patrons to see what their reactions are. You can do all of this now just from your own living room, sitting at a computer. But all this virtual travel isn't enough to erase my bucket list. I still want to stand out on an icy evening in a far northern village and watch the northern lights dance in the sky. I still want to stand next to a hotel guest in Berlin and engage her in conversation, actually experiencing and being changed by one another. I still want to stand on the outer banks of North Carolina and let the same winds that propelled Wilbur and Orville Wright into flight blow sea mist on my own face. I want to see it and experience it all for myself. And that is why I love Thomas so much. He's the poster boy for those of us who want to see for ourselves. For those of us who are tactile learners and need to feel the reality of the resurrection in specific and concrete ways. For those of us who resent getting information only secondhand. It's the first day of the week and all of the disciples are huddled behind locked doors. Jesus comes and stands among them. At least all of the disciples are there except for Thomas and of course we know the story from there. Poor Thomas arrives home to find the disciples telling him that Jesus has been there. Thomas replies with an almost childlike defiance. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And from then on, Thomas's reputation is sealed as the disciple with little faith, the doubter, the one who finds it hard to believe. If we take a closer look at today's gospel reading, though, we might find that there's actually not all that much reason to see Thomas in such a negative light. The other ten remaining disciples aren't necessarily beacons of faith themselves. Even though Mary Magdalene has told them that she's seen the risen Lord, they don't know how to act. They don't know how to process that information any more than Thomas would know how to understand it when they said the same thing to him a few hours later. And here they are, locked in the house, afraid they might face the same fate as Jesus. Jesus comes and stands right there with them and shows them his hands and his side. And it's only after that revelation that the disciples rejoice over the presence of the Lord. 
So who can blame Thomas for wanting that same experience? Who can blame Thomas for wanting to see for himself the marks of the nails and the wound in Jesus' side? Who can blame Thomas for wanting to have his own experience of the risen Christ? But here's the thing. At the end of the day, all this talk about the disciples' lack of faith or Thomas's lack of faith, it all misses the grace of Easter. Because Easter isn't about how we need to stop doubting. In fact, it's not about what we do or don't do at all. The truth of Easter is that God always keeps coming to meet us and to save us right where we are. We see it throughout our history in the parting of the Red Sea, in the gathering together of an exiled people, and in the resurrection of a crucified Messiah. There is no obstacle greater than God's saving grace. So the hard-headed stubbornness of the disciples, the locked doors, the fear, none of these things keep Jesus at bay in today's gospel. Instead, Jesus comes right in and says simply, Peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas later on, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Jesus doesn't criticize the disciples' fear or their lack of faith. And he doesn't counter it with logical arguments or fancy rhetoric. Instead, he overcomes it with grace. He simply meets them where they are, physically and emotionally. 2,000 years later, the risen Christ continues to meet us where we are as well. He keeps coming to us just as we are, giving us the experience of his presence and speaking a word of peace even in the midst of fear and doubt. In response to all the obstacles we would throw in his way, he comes and says simply, peace be with you. And then he offers to let us touch the wounds of a love stronger than death. It's not always easy, though, I admit, for us to recognize Jesus when he comes to us. Just like it wasn't easy for Mary when she met Jesus on Easter morning and thought he was the gardener, or when the travelers on the road to Emmaus failed to recognize Jesus until he broke bread, there is no one way Christ comes to us. There is no one appearance by which we will know him. And trust me, he doesn't always look like we expect him to look. But there are some signs that will guide our recognition. Serene Jones is president of the Union Theological Seminary in New York, and she's written a beautiful description of the many ways that we meet the risen Christ and how we will know Christ when we do meet him. She writes, In the different seasons of our life, Jesus' appearance is certain to change, and we will not always know him, particularly when hardships have given us many reasons to doubt. One moment he may come to us dressed in golden garb, calling us to celebrate joyously the richness of spirit faith promises. The next, however, he may come wearing beggar's rags, reminding us that the love that saves is vulnerable and costly and that the glory which awaits us is humble in texture and well-worn in fill. At still other times, he may come to us wrapped in the wool shawl of the wise old grandmother who simply holds us as we weep. Whatever his appearance may be, though, 
We will know it is he if inside those garbs, street-faded rags, or warm-knitted cape, we find not a logically argued response to our questioning of faith, but a surprising proclamation of peace and a touching love that is stronger than even violent death itself. The grace of Jesus continues to meet us, just like it did Thomas, right where we are, speaking a word of peace and inviting us to live more and more fully as Easter people. It continues to meet us in the person right there in front of us. Today, Kent and Dave will pledge themselves to one another in the covenant of marriage. As they promise to love one another in sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, in anguish and in joy, as they promise to love one another with that kind of love, we will catch a glimpse of what it means for God to love us unconditionally and forever. And we will experience firsthand in them and in the love they share the presence of the risen Christ in our midst, like a gentle voice saying, Go ahead, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out and put your hand in my side. Do not doubt, but believe.